Hello and welcome to the Dog Hack. A podcast series where we interview dog professionals. Today we're joined by Vicky from Pawson Pensions. Hi Vicky. Hello. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. I'm all rested after a fantastic weekend at Woofstock Dog Show. You were at Woofstock? Yes. And what's Woofstock? Uh, Woofstock is a fantastic dog festival held in Dartmouth in Devon for over two days. So there's dog shows uh, during the day, Saturday, Sunday, and then in the evening there's a bit of music and it's all camping and glamping. Uh, and there are fantastic... Um, group of guys who who set it all up and support three charities ourselves being one of them animals asia and animals in distress and they they do it all not for profit and raise money for us so we've been there with pores and pensions and having a fantastic week in the uh the wind and rain weekend <laughs> <laughs> yeah the weather wasn't exactly great for it this weekend no no but it, it was good it brightened up and it stayed dry during saturday sunday which is the most important thing uh, it was fantastic and you say there were rewards at the event um, yeah, well, there, there was dog shows uh, during the day, and then in the evening um, they did some they did some awards. Um, Saturday evening, uh, I think there was a bravest dog, uh, service dog, and one of our um, Cornish dog handlers actually won uh, the service dog award, which was fantastic. Mark Pomeroy down in Cornwall with his dog Ronnie um, for for dealing with the job with a chap with PTSD, um, and so that was fantastic. It was a really good weekend. Fantastic. And did you say there was some music as well during the event? Yeah, it's um they they did it they've been doing it about five years and they were up in I think it was Hampshire, correct me if I'm wrong, Wofstock, but um then they came down to Dartmouth last year and they did a one day event down um down in the centre of Dartmouth town and they're really trying to they're doing it all for charity and they're just trying to expand so they did it for two days at a farm just outside Dartmouth and it became a dog festival. So there was dog stuff all day and then in the evening there was um musical bands. We had I think Paul Young and the Las Pacaminas and I Love Amp and all sorts of bands playing in the evening. It was an absolutely fantastic weekend with camping and glamping and they're a fantastic it's Heather and Carol who run Woodstock uh, and they do it all for charity and it's absolutely outrageous how good the weekend was and all their volunteers that help it's brilliant and it's all all for for us guys and help us brilliant fun get down there next year to 2020 in Dartmouth it's a bit of a trek from us uh for us here in Manchester but perhaps oh, it's if camping, the weather's nice it's glamping you can you can get a teepee there are teepees there all set up for people um so it's a weekend away isn't it you treat oh, it as yeah, a weekend okay. out well, we might, maybe we'll make it part of an even bigger holiday and, and go and get a cottage somewhere down there. We've, we usually go up to Scotland, so it'd be good for us to go and explore the south a bit more. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful down in Dartmouth. If you've never been down there, it's just a, such a... I mean, I'm, I live down here, so I'm very um, biased, but it, it's yes. a wonderful part of the country. It really is. So from who from Ports and Pensions went? Did the whole crew go down? Was it just you? No, we did. It's actually our one weekend of the year where we, um, as a committee, and that we all try and get down there and go because because Woofstock help us so much and they're so um, 
pro Pawson pensions and helping us. We try and make it a bit of a committee weekend. We have lots of other helpers coming down. We have our stall down there, and we do alongside it. We do we manage to sort out a police dog demo. So there's two demos each day, which um, is fantastic, which runs alongside what we do and the show, and, and it's really good. So the full committee was down there. And we had a bit of a what do you call a, a long-term committee meeting all weekend and got stuff together and, and raised some cracking money uh, selling our merchandise and doing a raffle. Great. So for, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Paulson Pensions, what is it exactly you guys do? So Paulson Pensions uh, is a fund, it's an unregistered charity. Um, we've only been going a year, we're brand new and we have set up very simply to raise money to pay for the veterinary care for the retired police and fire dogs in Devon, Dorset and Cornwall. Um, because unfortunately when the dogs retire there is no further funding from the police through their during their retirement years um, which is a bit of a shame but it is a national thing with the police dogs um, and animals uh, there's just there's not enough money in the police kitty unfortunately um, so we've set up and there's other charities around the country that have set up for their their uh, forces and it's going really well uh, and we're just if, if one of the animals has to go to the vets for an unexpected um, reason they they sort the bills uh, they they email us with all the details and the receipts and we then put it out to our committee and you know, we're here to pay the bill, not to argue it. So um, if it's all for a good reason, um, you know, we, we will pay that bill. Um, at the moment, we're paying a percentage towards that bill. We started off just being able to offer £100. And now we're managing to pay um, 75% towards the bill up to £2,000. Um, and if it goes beyond that £2,000, we'll have a quick meeting, conflab, check the bank balance, see if we can help further and um, go from there. That's amazing. That's some real growth in the space of a year. Oh, my, it's it's boomed a little bit faster than planned. Um, I think because of what we're doing and why we're doing it, it's just all for the right reasons. There's nothing negative about it. Um, there really isn't. The only the only negative thing that we see is that the police don't help when the dogs retire. I'm a police dog handler myself, and and it is frustrating. It's frustrating even for our chief constable. It's one of those things. It's just it's just not something that um, we they they can do. Um, so and that's why we've set up, and and it's going really it's going great guns. It's going really well. Um, I mean, we did put a little cap at the beginning because we had no money and we were down and we've, we've got money now. And I mean, we, we support approximately 35 dogs. And if all of those dogs came to us in one month, there isn't enough money in the pot to help them all. But what we've said is, you know, it doesn't seem to happen like that. Uh, there might be a month where we have nothing. There might be a month where we have two or three, but we can manage that. And if we have no money in the bank, we can't help or we go down the crowdfunding route and we just do our best to help. And I think it's just important that we, we keep it realistic. We don't want to stash money in the bank. We want to help the dogs and spend it on the dogs. So that's our theory and that's what we're going with at the moment. I'm assuming that the sort of procedures and so on that they need uh, as retired working dogs, are there patterns to that? Are there particular injuries that they tend to sustain during their working life? Um, we don't really have um, so much detailed information about that, but generally, because we've only been going a year with regard to helping, but generally... Um, the German Shepherds, they are obviously doing a career of about eight years, seven and a half to eight years. So they, they start becoming a dog, um, police dog at about one. Um, and then they tend to retire from the age of between seven and eight and a half, normally about seven and a half, eight. And so those German Shepherds have been doing a lot of high impact work because they're the dogs that do all the bite work. Um, they're the ones that are jumping six foot fences to try and catch the baddies or help the vulnerable person, etc. So I, I would say a lot of it is sort of... Um, 
sort of muscular musculoskeletal uh, sort of it's a German shepherd at the end of the day so the, the sort of back end does tend to take a bit of a, a toll as an older dog so that's why we try and retire them before they get old and crooked um, but yeah and, and anything you know cancers all sorts lumps and bumps and old dogs dragging claws and catching claws and then you sort of down the teeth side of thing like gum infections and all that sort of thing so it's a real we've had all sorts we've had anal glands to gum infections to tooth removals to scans it's it's quite amazing there were spaniels cutting themselves spaniels with lumps and bumps etc and and all that so we're still discovering really what we tend to help with the most but um just generally old dogs that have been working um just general ailments yeah. of, of the seniors. Yeah, we haven't had any big, big bills yet. You know, a cruciate ligament, for instance, might go, and that's that's a mega, that's thousands. Um, you know, a dog with uh, that gets cancer and is young enough to have the treatment, and the treatment would be of benefit to them. Um, all that sort of stuff. We haven't had them yet. Um, I am anticipating we will get something like that very soon. Um, we've got quite a lot on quite a lot of dogs on the books now and and some of them are are getting much much older now so um i am anticipating in the next few months we'll have a few big bills hit um hit the uh, email and and that's that's what we're there for is to help these guys who who give them the the happy retirement that they have um, and looking after them how how does it work then with the dogs being on the book Do, do people just reach out to you yeah so we Devon and Cornwall and Dorset, we're not the biggest forces in the world. We cover a huge geographical area, don't get me wrong, but we're so rural. Um, so we have approximately working at any one time, I think it's between 65 to 70 dogs. And that's across uh, the three forces, and that's general purpose, explo, uh, drugs, and all, the, all those cadaver dogs. Well, it's not cadaver anymore, they're victim recovery dogs and other specialist dogs that we have. So um, we tend to know which ones are due to retire, which ones are coming up for retirement, which ones have retired because the handlers are either still working or we just sort of know who they are. So we, we reached out to them to start with. And I think we've got, when we are aware of every dog um, that is currently retired, um, and then it's down to the, the handler to obviously inform uh, or register with us uh, now when they go. We tend to know who they are, so we, we think we've got it all under wraps at the moment. I imagine it's quite a tight-knit community. Yeah, it is very much so. You know, you all, at X, I work out of Exeter, and Exeter is where the dog school is, so all the handlers have to come in and out of there for their training days, etc. So you all see each other, know each other, and you all know who's on the new course with the new dog, or who's retiring from the dog section, or who's moving on to, you know, different jobs, etc. So um, yeah, it, it it's quite easy to manage with that regard. Uh, once we had tracked down, there was a few older dogs that had sort of um, been retired for a while and handlers retired, etc. Um, once we had sorted all those guys, and some people haven't registered with us, it's not it's up to those guys if they you know they've got a enough money, etc. They've said, oh no, we're absolutely fine. We don't need to take from the charity. We can afford to look after the dog, and that's that's fine. But we are still here, open arms if they ever need to or wish to um, come and get help with us. So who normally takes on the retirement dogs? Is it normally the handler or is it Joe Public? It's normally the handler. So um, when the dog retires, uh, the handler takes gets first dibs to keep that dog, obviously, because they've worked for them for 
with all that time and the bond etc but um if there's a dog that needs rehoming um or they want to the handler you know for the right reasons is rehoming the dog um they as a handler find the home really and, and work supports them so i've done it myself once uh, my first dog jasper he was only five so he retired really young it just wasn't for him he wasn't happy at work and i'd noticed he was getting a bit stressed in certain situations so um i sort of raised it and we looked at him and decided that it just being a police dog wasn't for him he loved the pretending he loved the training he was absolutely outstanding at all that but when um when we were in real life situations he, he was very stressed so um he was only five and I was, I considered leaving the dog section to keep him. But then I had this little reality check that I still had to be a police officer and I still had to go to work for nine to ten hours a day. And I still had this dog that actually still was trained to um, do his job. So letting Mrs. Miggins, ha you know, walk in while I was at work or even my mum and dad, to be honest, was quite a big ask. So I thought about it and considered it and looked around and I managed to find um, a couple, um, Gus and Sam, down in Torbay, who were actually, Gus was a retired police officer, who, he wasn't retired at the time, but retiring in the next six months, had had big dogs all their life and just wanted to give a retired dog uh, a fantastic home. So I, I I made the decision, as much as it broke my heart, to send Jasper there. And um, he had the most fantastic life. I could not have given him that life. So um, for me, that was a head over heart decision. And for Jasper's welfare, it was it was the best decision I'd ever made, really, because I took on another German Shepherd. I, I don't have a big house. I don't have anywhere to separate them if they don't get on. Um, so it's one of those things. So, But generally, they stay with the handler. But it, rehoming is an option, but we do it ourselves and we make sure it's the right thing um, for that dog. Right, so you, the the handler gets the first refusal. Yeah. yeah. And how often would you say? I mean, if you know, how often would you say the handler wouldn't take them on, and they would go to a a home outside of the force? Ooh, um, I mean, to be honest, we don't have dogs retiring left, right, and centre. Um, we probably have, but anything between two and five dogs retire a year. Um, if you're lucky, um, depending on reasons, it, some of it could be injury, some of it's age, some of it's just not for them. Um, I think it's becoming more commonplace and more acceptable to rehome them. Um, it very much wasn't and very much in the old days used to get rescue shepherds that would come through that would be real bitey dogs and would be very defensive and they're not actually that easy to rehome and not safe to rehome. Um, right. And it totally depends on that dog. Uh, you know, some some dogs aren't safe to rehome. You know, you, you keep them and you make sure that they have the best retirement that they can because asking a member of public to take on this police dog that does bite a lot uh, is, is a dangerous... Uh, oh, it's not necessarily dangerous, but it's a big ask and it, it would be quite tricky. Um, whereas some of the dogs that are coming through, because we're breeding them ourselves, they're actually very um, sound dogs, they're very confident dogs. They're not doing the work they do because they're fearful or scared or defensive. They're doing it because they are very confident, happy dogs and they do it through training. Um, and so that dog has um, control, etc., and exercises control in what it does. So it, it settles and becomes a pet very easily. And it's um, nice and easy for a new owner to to look after that dog. I mean, some of our dogs go through their career and have never bitten a person. Um, you know, it's we, we live in Devon and Cornwall. We An awful lot of our work isn't actually looking for criminals. It's looking for vulnerable missing people. So right. those dogs are very well trained in making decisions whether they do or don't bite. Um, and, and so a lot of our work, depending on where you work in the county, is and looking for vulnerable missing people. And, and the police force's main 
um, aims is is threat, risk, harm. Um, and so if we had a burglar down the road running off, but we also had a high risk mental health patient who said they're going to go and harm themselves or harm someone else running down the road, we would be sent to that high risk vulnerable person, not the burglary, because the threat, risk, harm of life. Um, you know, so if the burglars run off and they're not in that property anymore, that gets downgraded a bit as much as that's not ideal for the person who's been burgled, but they're safe. But you've got down the road someone who isn't safe, who's threatening to harm themselves. You know, or Mrs. Miggins or Mr. Miggins, who's a dementia patient, Alzheimer's, who's who's managed to get out of the house and wandered off, they take priority. So we actually spend 85% of our time looking for vulnerable people, not people who are actually offenders and need apprehending and detaining. So um, the dogs are very different these days. They, are, they will do and will protect us. Rick's my dog now. He's protected me a number of times and he's caught burglars, but he's also found your vulnerable person and caused them no harm whatsoever. They're very, very sound and confident dogs. All right, so yeah, leaps and bounds from how it used mm. to be. Yeah, so that that whole past. yeah, decades past, it was you keep the dog no matter what because the dog's not safe to rehome. But now, actually, um, you can give that dog a much better retirement. I, I beg to differ that any handler who's still going to work and working nine hours can give the, that retired dog the same quality of life that someone who's retired or someone who's got works from home you know it takes us a, a while to find a new home and it's got to be the right home um that they can give them the same quality of life i'm not saying they give them a bad uh, um but they'll still give them a fantastic quality of life because that's their their dog that looked after them but you can't match going to work for that period of time and someone coming and walking them once or twice to someone who's working at home and the dog sat on their feet all day and getting spoiled rotten so there's a balance and it's each to their own it's just um just one of those things it's not something we get involved with as ports and pensions though we don't get involved with the rehoming that's not what we're about it doesn't happen it doesn't need we don't need to get involved with that it's all it's rare that it happens um uh, but we are there to support the dogs wherever they go that was going to be exactly my next question actually was do you get involved with the with the no. rehoming so how no. does the rehoming take place is is there a specific organization that looks after that no no it's just the handler no, it's left just, to... just the handler just the handler and your sergeant you do you know we have a little list of people who come to us and say oh i would be really interested in taking on a retired dog we've got a little black book in the office and we go through the list of names they might be oh no actually we've gone and got a different dog now or still waiting for the retired police dog to pop up um we just ring through we do lots of house visits it probably took me about two and a half months with jasper um visiting around the country looking at houses and some were brilliant but there was just something not quite right or there was children or something like that and it's it's a huge risk assessment balance and then Gus and Sam popped along went and saw them walked into their garden and spoke to them and it was instant like yes this is Jasper's forever home this Um, is where he gets to relax so, so we do it all there's no and if I couldn't have found him there would be no questions he would stay with me no matter what um there was no it, it was just, could I get him or could I give him a better retirement um, by finding him somewhere nice? And if that had taken me a year, two years, or he stayed with me forever, that's absolutely fine. Because he still had a very good quality of life with me, but he could have had a much better one elsewhere. But it's not something we really um, we get. It, it, it doesn't happen very often. My situation is I have a two up, two down house, um, and I wanted to remain a dog handler. And I just, Jasper, uh, if the new dog and Jasper didn't get on, I didn't have anywhere safe to separate them. Uh, they, they, The quality of life for both of them would have been reduced. Still okay, but reduced. So it was kind of looking after him, really. It doesn't happen very often. So 
when when you still had Jasper, mm. was he living? Where did he? He didn't live with you at home with your pet dog. Yes, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, he lives. Oh, he, he did. My police dog lives at home with me full time. Right. So. so and how how many dogs have you got at home at the moment? I've got two. So I've got Ziggy, my pet dog, who I had before I got on the dog section. And I um, have my working police dog and possibly in the future taking on a drugs dog, hopefully. Um, so there'll be three. So it's it's a lot to sort of manage in a small house. Um, you know, All German was... shepherds? No, Ziggy's a little working cocker spaniel. Um, my work dog Riggs at the moment. He's a German shepherd crossed with a Belgian shepherd. Um, and then if I took on a drugs dog, it'd be a lab or a spaniel again. So, but I've only got a diddy little house, and I, you know, I have a tenant in my house, so I have lots of things to weigh up and and balance and and things like that. So it's got to be it's got to be a healthy balance of everything. Okay, well that that brings us quite nicely on before we start to get into uh, rigs and the potential new drugs dog, mm. um, because I, I'm pretty sure everybody'd be really interested to hear how you how you got into this career and so on. So if we if we start right at the very beginning. Yeah, we skipped uh, forward a bit, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> we, we we skipped a bit. Um, what as as a child did you were you around dogs? Did your family have dogs? Yes, um, I grew up uh, with uh, a golden Labrador, Blondie. Um, I was very young with Blondie. I don't really, I do remember her, but um, so she was my dad's lab, and he used to shoot with her, etc. And so we're always around her. Um, and then um, the rest of our family didn't really have dogs, but I just always got on with them. And then when I was, um, we lost Blondie. And I think I managed to persuade mum and dad about two years after we lost, lost her, maybe a bit longer, just badgered. I want a dog, I want a dog, I want a dog, I want a dog, on and on and on. And then eventually um, my friend at school, her, I think it was her auntie, had a litter of Springer Spaniels. And uh, I just kept going on about it. And then I know they shouldn't. They say you shouldn't have a dog for Christmas or for birthdays or anything. But on my birthday, we arrived at this farm, and I knew exactly where I was because I'd been to see these puppies loads of times with my friends. And we took Lucy dog, Lucy Long Ears, um, home, a little spaniel, little Springer spaniel. And I was uh, about eleven or twelve, I think, at the time. And Lucy and I were inseparable. I think she actually thought I was a dog, not a human. Um, <laughs> And yeah, and so sort of grew up with Lucy uh, as a sort of young teenager, did lots with her and we, we were fairly inseparable and just never really thought much of it, but then just loved watching any programmes or TVs about dogs and um, then I got it in my head that I was going to be a police dog handler. Uh, I don't know what age I was. And uh, and it kind of all started from there. I didn't know anything about it. I was just going to be a police dog handler and I was thinking sort of sniffer dogs like with Spaniels. Um and we lost uh, Lucy. She managed. She went on until she was about sixteen. Wow. So I was. Yeah, she did a cracking innings. And uh, the last few years of her life, I didn't spend much time with her because I'd obviously gone off to university. Uh, my mum and dad. My dad is a Royal Marine, and um, he went off and worked in America for three years. And Lucy went with them, so we went out and visited lots. And her sort of latter years were out there. And then they eventually moved back to the UK, and they they had no intentions thinking that Lucy would be coming back, but she was ticking along. And so saw lots of her in her last year, and then she's just eventually just old age took its toll. Um, and then I um I can't help I can't think how old I was when we lost Lucy. So I was probably about 25, 26. Um, I'd then moved home. 
as you do as a child, not at 27, to move back to mum and dad's to save for my own house. Yeah. And um, managed to persuade mum and dad to let me get a puppy. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so I got Ziggy, uh, my little, my own little pup, um, who's a little working cocker spaniel. I think spaniels, I, without a doubt, are my, my favourite uh, breed. I always sway towards them. Um, so I got Ziggy from, uh, it's actually from my mum's, uh, mum plays hockey and it was one of uh, it was a hockey captain had a litter of pups and I was uh, I decided I would like one spoke to mum and dad um, and uh, I was at home saving for a house and not able to go anywhere or do anything and I just wanted my uh, dog companion really uh, to spend time with and do lots and learn lots because I wanted to get onto the police dog section but at that point there was no vacancies coming up for, for a very long time at the time there was a different chief officer in, in charge and budget cuts and dogs weren't in favour and there were handlers currently looking at having to find new jobs etc so for me it was looking at six to seven years before I'd even get close to getting on the dog section so I wanted to learn more about dogs and get involved so I got Ziggs and I named her Ziggy because she had a little white Z on her chest when she was a tiny pup unfortunately when she grew that turned into a straight line so it's kind of lost its impact now so it wasn't but, um, a david bowie reference then no it wasn't no not at all i just wanted a name beginning with zed because she had this like lightning and she, her, her pedigree um, name is actually cotley lightning because of that zed on her chest but i didn't want to call her lightning because i don't and there was lots of cockers around called lightning and all that sort of stuff so um i i just Ziggy was the only name type thing I could think with a Z that really fit her. But as she grew, it went straight, so she doesn't have a Z on her chest anymore. But um, so got Ziggs, and um, yeah, and, and just uh, again, we're completely inseparable. She's a fantastic dog, a little tiny little working cocker. She's only nine kilos, uh, but we do a bit of agility together, and she's just um, she's she's great, and she's a real lap dog, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, she's like my fur baby, really. Um, so yeah, I had her at mum and dad's and um, and then the chief constable changed in Devon and Cornwall and the new chief constable loved dogs and um, was uh, then putting money into the dog section and not cutting dogs and that and things changed very quickly and I got onto the dog section and next thing I knew Jasper arrived and Ziggs was only six months old. So um, it all happened very fast. Just, just to go back a little bit there then, so mm. you went to university? Yes. What were you studying at university? I did sport and exercise science at university, so uh, mostly I concentrated on like the teaching aspect of uh, sport. Okay, and from there you went straight into the police? No, um, before uni I took a year out, went skiing for a year, then I went to uni, and then I, um, from university, I uh, went and worked at Sherburn School for Girls in Dorset, teaching sport, working in the boarding house, just getting experience in teaching, etc., knowing I wanted to join the police, but also I'd come from Devon, uh, quite a quiet place of the country, and I didn't really have much life experience out in the world, and I was quite conscious that I didn't really want to put myself into the police super early. I was always told to go off and get life experience, to then mm. come back and become a police officer, rather than try and be a police officer at sort of 18, 19 from Devon, having not really had a very sheltered life. I'm very fortunate. You know, I've had a lovely upbringing. I can't, you know... And uh, to go and then be standing on people's doorsteps who have had the worst upbringing in life to tell them how they should run their life didn't really fit with me. So I went off, um, worked for you in a school. I did lots of summer seasons down in Cornwall surfing and just working and earning money. And then I went traveling around the world with my friends from university. 
for a year and finally at 25 I decided I should um, get a real job. So while I was travelling I applied for the police and got in first time. So. so that was when you came back, you were living with your parents and then yep. working with the police and you thought there's no chance of a dog handling job coming up with the current uh, yeah. leadership so Ziggy and then literally yeah. within six months you had Jasper yeah. as well. Yeah so it was it was literally not looking like I'd get on dogs for six to ten years because there just wasn't any vacancies and there were people who were going to have to possibly come off and then wait for a vacancy before they could get back on so I just thought right I'll just knuckle down with the police I'll watch this sideline and then everything changed sort of within a month. Um, I passed my assessment um, really early on in the police so you do a dog assessment to get onto the dog section and it's an interview uh, paper application and a week's physical assessment with the dogs um, and I passed that within two well I've just started coming out of my probation at two years which is quite rare and not really advisable if I'm honest um, and then um, I, I was sort of sat waiting um, was going to get a dog and then all things changed and you know you're not getting a dog for ages and then um, so I just sort of sat back and thought oh this will come around again I've got plenty of time and then everything changed again and here you go here's your dog oh blimey that happened fast <laughs> <laughs> and what so. what was this was um, was this Riggs the dog uh, that you Jasper got was the first. Jasper one. was no, the Jasper first was one. My Sorry. First dog, yeah. So Jasper, what was it like first meeting him? Um, trying to think. So um, it was Elaine and Graham who puppy walked in. So the dogs, when they're um about seven weeks, go out to puppy walk because we try and do it in four so that we we're not just getting one year old dogs from where we don't know where they've come from. Um, and they'd had him and they'd walked him for the year. And I remember going and meeting him and uh, he was gorgeous, really dark face and just still quite puppyfied because he was only one. Um, but yeah, I remember it being my sergeant picking me up and taking me down to meet him and, and collect him, basically. Uh, it was quite um, quite an intense day, to be honest. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was a great day. I brought him home, had all these instructions because he's not a pet and you must do this and you must do that and being sort of quite overwhelmed by it all. Uh, and to get onto the dog section is quite, well, as far as I'm concerned, quite an achievement. Um, and you're there and you've just got to learn as fast as you can um, and try not to make us make mistakes. But we're only human, so we all make mistakes. What sort of instructions are we talking about? Um, well, I've got this German Shepherd now and he lives with me, but I don't know anything about him. So sort of instructions from Gray and, and Elaine as to what they do with him, how they've done stuff, what his commands are and all this. And then... Obviously, with my sort of supervisors and sergeants, um, you know, where he should and shouldn't sleep, etc. Um, you know, making sure he is happy in his crate, but making sure, you know, you don't have any sort of silly accidents by, you know, I would live on a busy road, you know, almost um, instructions to someone who perhaps never owned a dog. And I didn't find them um, like patronising or anything, you know, this was the forces police dog that I all of a sudden had to look after and take care of, you know, so they were all quite sensible things and things I had to really listen to and desperate not to make any mistakes and get in trouble. So, um, so just silly things, simple things. It's interesting because you think when you, when especially if you watch these Channel 5 documentaries or, you mm. know, you, you see things in the news, I think a lot of people assume that it's, it's like having your pet dog at home. Mm. And then you get to take your pet dog with you to work and do fun stuff. Um, so it, it's really interesting to hear. I don't think people always make the link between that and the dog's raised by somebody else for a whole year first. So you're not getting the yeah. dog as a puppy when, you, when you're its handler. Um, and that it has already sort of formed a personality and 
how you look after the dog is already yeah. preset when he comes to you and the fact that there's no real handover wasn't something that I was personally aware of. You know, it must be really... I can't imagine picking my dog up at a year old with no kind of, like, transition. It's just, there you go, he's here and he's sleeping here tonight. Yeah. Can you imagine it? Yeah. I think you could you could do a slow transition, um, but the, the guys who had him lived in Plymouth, it's an hour away, um, and... It's actually sometimes it's easy just to crack on, isn't it? I mean, some people get, at the end of the day, Jasper, wherever, whoever was feeding him and walking him, I think would be happy. You know, as much as we put emotion, human emotions onto it, um, he, he, wasn't he settled. Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't <laughs> doubt for a minute that he, he missed Graham and Elaine. You know, they looked after him incredibly well and were fantastic. But um, he, he slotted in very well um, and he, he really didn't. He just fitted in. Uh, him and Ziggy instantly hit it off he snuggled up to her and they they just sort of ended up cuddling each other most of the time and just crack they just played lovely and he just settled in I don't remember there ever being an issue he was he was fantastic brilliant and if there would have been an issue how how would that have worked with Jasper and Ziggy um I I would have had to have just managed it um you know yeah you can always Ziggy isn't a dog aggressive dog. She's very submissive. Um, so I didn't really have any thoughts that there'd be a problem. I knew that Jasper was dog friendly because Graham and Elaine, um, prior to me picking him up, had sent pictures of him with his dog friends and stuff. So to be honest, I didn't think there'd be a problem. Uh, I mean, Ziggs is very um, submissive with regards to dogs. So I, I thought we it would always, even if from first meet and greet, there was a slight bit of tension over time and through very careful handling and managing of the situation, they would become friends. Um, so there's always ways of doing it. You just do it very slow and steady. Fantastic. So you've got Jasper um, and you've got yep. Ziggy and you're working with the dog hang- handling stuff. This is with a German Shepherd. This is, as you were saying before, this was more about uh, perhaps finding vulnerable people uh, more than scent detection work. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, as a dog handler, um, I want to track burglars, find them, and catch them. Um, we're doing an awful lot of work, and there's no real buzz. That buzz of catching a criminal is um, way beyond the buzz of catching, not catching, finding a high-risk misper because the end result is very different um, without sort of, uh, you know, we train hard and we work hard with the dogs and the bite work that we do with them is great fun. The dogs absolutely love it and thrive off the bite work. That's their best day at work. You know, when I find a vulnerable high risk person who's in the woods trying to harm themselves, the end result is a very, very different result, you know, to the point where the dog may locate them but I'm ultimately trying to do my utmost to keep the situation calm, collected. And if I can get the dog to quieten down and relax and stop barking so I can then communicate with this person who is in complete turmoil, um, you know, so it's all about de-escalation, reducing adrenaline, reducing everything. You know, don't get me wrong, the feeling of saving someone's life, you can't beat that because you found them and you've stopped them doing something silly. I mean, we don't always get there fast enough, but... um, that feeling is a very different feeling to uh, finding your real nasty criminal who's really hurt someone or just burgled someone's house and run off. 
you know, for me, that's heinous type behaviours and that's who I really want to catch. You know, the high fives, tea and cake back at the station come from catching burglars, not from saving a vulnerable person. You know, we all are very happy we've saved that person, but it's a very much more subdued kind of result because of the sensitivity of the subject. Um, so the adrenaline that comes from catching naughty people is well beyond the adrenaline of saving uh, someone's life. It's, it's not, I don't think you can compare it. There's two very different ends of a spectrum there. Two, two very different kinds of satisfaction in a job yes. well done. Yes, don't get me wrong. If I've saved someone's life, I that's incredible and I feel fantastic. But it's it, there's no adrenaline that comes with that. Whereas if you've ever experienced real adrenaline, you'll know that feeling. You, you, you ride that wave for a very long time and you enjoy that. And I bet it's kind of addictive. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, uh, being a dog handler is a huge impact on your home life, you know. It's not just any job. I have that dog at home with me, and as much as, I mean, Riggs, my current police dog, is fantastic at home. He's he's a lounge lizard. He, you know, he's really chilled. He's a very different dog at work and home, but he is still a trained police dog. So when I go for walks at home, and I've got eyes in the back of my head, if I could walk down the street and commentate to you what I'm thinking and talking in my head about walking him, you'd probably be quite astounded um, as to what's going through our it's not a relaxing chilled out walk for me as try and make it as relaxing for rigs as possible but uh, I'm thinking and I'm, I'm looking at everybody that's coming around the corner etc um, so when you have that result at work it makes that impact on your home life worth every minute right so that that sort of hyper alertness that happens not just when you're at work but also mm. even on you know yeah. um, pet walks so to speak yeah i mean ultimately my dog's under control and unfortunately there are many dog owners who do not have control of their dogs um you know so they they cannot get their dog back some people are say ignorant to the fact that if there's a dog on a lead um they don't clip their dog up or they let their dog run up and chase and they can't get them back um you know, so I've, I have to deal with that. And ultimately, I try and walk him in private farm fields so that we can relax, he can relax. I still can't fully relax because, you know, wildlife, all sorts, people bumble into fields who shouldn't be there, etc. But, um, you know, ultimately, he is a licensed police dog who's trained to bite. Well, I have to be very careful. Um, but I always have him under control and on a lead in public when we're not working. And um, unfortunately, public aren't so good at... Um, reading signs you know if i if i'm walking and there's a dog on a lead to me that dog's on a lead for a reason yes you know so we don't approach it we don't go near it um so there's a lot of dog dog etiquette that doesn't take place that causes a bit of a pickle for us but even at home you know people coming to the door making sure he's secure in a way and and no accidents can happen because he is trained to look after me um so there's that and obviously my neighbor can't just pop him out for a walk only handlers can walk their dogs um so with regard to that impact on home life of being just been able to pop away for the night can't do that you know can't just pop away on a surprise weekends if i go away for the weekend he has to go into kennels etc so we don't go away as much as we'd like to but having those results at work and catching those people at work make all of that worth it and just the bond i mean riggs is and jasper was absolutely amazing dogs like such i've never had shepherds before i had a police dog and, and they are incredible breed absolutely incredible now you were saying before that spaniels were your sort of natural affinity mm. 
What what is it about spaniels that you think is um, so special? I don't know. I don't know. Um, they, maybe because I was brought up with a Springer and a Lab. I, I, obviously, not a Lab isn't a Spaniel, but it's that sort of working side of the dog. But um, oh, just their floppy ears. They're just a bit mental. They they're just loving. Uh, well, all the ones I've come across and had in my life have been. Um, a big, I call them um, big little dogs. So Ziggs is only nine kilos, so she's quite diddy. So she's small. She doesn't smell. She's not super hairy. She does get very muddy. Um, but she, when she's out walking, she's fun to walk. Um, she's in the hedges. You know, she's she's out. She's busy. Um, but then she's she's still quite a smallish dog. But she's a big dog in a little body. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I just they're happy. They're always happy. The, the eternal tail wag. Yes. You go, you go for a wee upstairs and you come back down. It's like she hasn't seen you for five days. Um, so it's very nice. Yeah, I, I've I've seen that with spaniels before. The sort of very cheerful disposition and uh, yeah. what you're saying there about the hedges. That my dad used to have a Springer spaniel, and uh, a good thorny, impossible yeah. to penetrate gorse bush <laughs> was her idea of heaven. Heaven, yeah, they're just lovely, lovely dogs, and they, they're because they're working dogs. They're super intelligent as well, so you can have a lot of fun with them if you put the time into them. They absolutely thrive from your contact and your play with them. That is all they desire, really. Is you know the the days where oh maybe we're having a quiet day doing some admin for poor some pensions, and she's fast asleep in the bed with Riggs. You know, Riggs comes to work with me, so I try and make when I'm home and I do try to do some stuff with Ziggs on her own. You know, and we play a bit and I've taught her to hide stuff around the house and she searches and, you know, when she just lightens up. She just becomes alive when you start doing little search games with her. And, and I think many people who own a dog like that just go down the field and play fetch. And I think mm. there's a big, uh, they're missing so much of that dog and the dog's capabilities and the fun you can have with them by teaching that dog to, you know, do do some amazing, well, you could call it a trick, I guess. But, you know, I can... I guess from my work experience, I've sort of taught Ziggs to search for property and items and money and that. And we just do it. If it's raining outside and it's horrendous weather, she's just as happy playing our search games around the house as she is going down the field to get soaking wet and come back and uh, be banished to the kitchen while she dries. Um, Most of her, she's great fun. That ties into our podcast from last week, actually. We had um, Pam McKinnon, who used to work for Customs and Exercise, Mm. Uh, customs and excise not exercise um and she now trains pet owners to do scent detection work with uh oh, rather right. than using sort of explosives money or um whatever they use catnip and it's a right. gaze trying to get um pet owners to engage in that sort of exactly what you were saying there a lot of people take out for a game of fetch or for a long walk uh but actually the joy that the dogs get from doing the scenting is the is more rewarding for the dog and the dog has a bit yeah. more fun uh, and it means that you're not always out there pounding your feet on the pavement necessarily there's, there's other ways to have fun and exercise your dog's mind yeah um yeah. so yeah that that ties in very much with that i was speaking to a lady this morning as well um who was saying her border terrier is really excited by the tennis ball but she mm. felt he actually had almost as much fun finding the tennis ball when it got oh, yeah. lost as he did playing with the tennis ball. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a, a fairly common finding amongst dog owners. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I could go and play fetch down the park with Ziggs and she loves it. But actually, a lot of the time, I actually make her sit next to me. I cover her eyes and then I'll throw the ball out. And she works her socks off trying to find that ball. And, and it tires her out far faster because she's doing the scent work rather than just chase, crash at the end, come back, which isn't ultimately very good for her. Um, and yeah, so we do that a lot. And you, you said you do a lot of agility with... When she was younger, I did um, agility with her. And interestingly, I haven't done it for uh, three or four years since sort of police dogs came. It Well, probably six years, really, since police dogs came around and just life got a bit busier and stuff like that. But um, this weekend at Woofstock, they had a little have-a-go agility. And I took her around it. And she just loves it. And she was flying around. Um, it is good fun. And again, it's that playing that game with that dog rather than just walking down the park and that is doing something together and, and increasing and building that bond and when that bond when you've got that that dog will do backflips for you if you you get that bond and you work a way of sort of them working for you really okay so just just going back to finish off the story about not to jump around too much but just to finish the story about jasper so you worked with how long yeah. did you work with jasper for in total um i think we had two years together Two years, yeah, because it's six years on the section now and I've had rigs. No, three years with Jasper. Three years. Three years with Jasper. And are you, do you, yeah. are you sorry, are you still working with Jasper now then? No, no, no. I've got rigs now. I, I retired Jasper young because he was, um, it just wasn't for him. It wasn't for him. And Jasper's the one that's now gone off to live with the... Yeah, he actually, he actually isn't alive anymore. He, um... He he left me, and within a year he died of heart failure. So um, oh no, I don't. It's, it it was it was super sad. Sad. Last June he died. Um, oh, it was early July actually. So he left me. Um, he went to Gus and Sam, and this is this kind of brings it into sort of why I sort of felt I should start this Porson Pensions charity up really. Um, so he, I retired him. He was stressed at work. He wasn't happy. And I'd noticed a few behavioural things that were changing. And I was like, he's not happy. He's not enjoying this anymore. Um, when he was in situations of high, uh, sort of aggressive situations, he, he didn't want to be there. Um, and so I retired him, found him a, a lovely home with Gus and Sam down in Torquay. Um, and um, within about three, four months of them having him, he um, collapsed on them. And uh, luckily, he was. He they managed to get insurance for him, veterinary care, and um, lots of tests, etc. Went on, and he collapsed again. And it came down to that he had. Um, I can't remember the exacts of it, but basically heart failure, which kind of made sense. Um, you know, had he had it all his life, and had his or sort of slightly unhappy heart uh, contributed to not wanting to to do the actual aggressive work in the real life. He loved it for fun, but when the real aggression and, and tension was there, he, he wasn't happy. Uh, so maybe it's all tied into together. And he sort of, he did deteriorate and sort of got quite old quite quick. And um, we did a show for Pawson Pensions last June and Gus and Sam brought Jasper down and we did a police demonstration there as well. And I did a round of obedience with Jasper. But I remember when he arrived and I'd, I'd popped in and saw him quite a lot and said hello to him if I was in Torbay working. Um, used to get the most amazing greetings um and I, I remember seeing him pop in the boot and he, I thought gosh mate you've aged you're not looking too well and I did the round of obedience with him and he got really um fatigued really really quick and sort of glazed over a little bit so I stopped and noticed his eyes sort of changed so I put him into a little down and we just had a little tickle instead 
um and we did the show and and etc and um yeah and then um a few weeks later i had a phone call from gus to say that he'd passed away in his sleep so um my gut feeling when i left that show was that i haven't got he hasn't got long left he just had aged and got old so fast and his heart unfortunately just gave up the ghost and how old and was he at that point he, five, he was six? five 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 oh, yeah and his brother's still working down in cornwall uh max and nothing nothing wrong with him but um yeah, so he had a really short innings, but Gus and Sam, obviously, fortunately, they were insured, but um, they had, getting close to running out of the insurance money, there's always a cap on the money. Oh, okay. So they, they got close to running out, and that's when sort of Paul, so I felt like my own personal was like, blindly, we really do need to do something about this, Vicky, you've got no excuse not to. So that's when I did the Paul and Pensions. Ah, so that's how Paulson Paulson Pensions came about. Yeah, just because I couldn't say no, really, to setting it up. And I had the time at work and what had happened with Jasper. And, you know, he didn't cost them thousands of pounds because of insurance, but they they were getting to a point where they were meeting the maximum limit of the insurance assistance uh, after all the testing he'd had on his heart. So uh, I'd forgotten about that. That's sort of really how, yeah, it did sort of come about. And my, my sort of feeling that I had to to do something about it and try and help the retired dogs and help those who take them on. Ah. Yeah. So how long after did you get Riggs? Uh, so Jasper retired in the June time the year before, uh, sorted him out at uh, Gus and Sam. And then I they picked Jasper up on the Monday morning at nine from mine. We did a handover, a bit of crying, a bit of tears, signed the paperwork. And um, I got in the car and drove down to Launceston and picked up Riggs. <laughs> uh, it was, all seemed a bit, um, yeah, it was, uh, Riggs needed collecting because he'd outgrown his puppy walkers. He was very boisterous. He was a German shepherd cross with a Belgian shepherd um, and he needed um, needed to move on to his handler, really. Um, and I could have, I could have said no. I could have sat and dwelled and cried and been sad that I had sort of lost Jasper, rehomed him and all that. And I thought, well, what better way to distract myself? Go and get the new dog straight away. So I did that, did that, and and on we went. Riggs and I became a team. And actually, in hindsight, I'm glad I did it that way because it meant I had to, you know, just not be sad. I had to move on and had to move on. And, um, and I'm assuming yeah. Riggs is named after the lethal weapon. Yeah, I think he is. His puppy walker's named him. Um, so if I get a drugs dog, I ain't got a choice. I'm going to have to call it Murta, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to change his name. You're going to have to, so, I yeah. think. Yeah, Riggs yeah, I Murta. will. Well, Riggs is on Twitter and he's got something like 7,000 followers on Twitter. So I think I'd get no end of social media abuse if I didn't um, if I didn't call my spaniel Murta if I had a choice. Yes, so. I, th- I think you would need to do that. I think it would yeah. be incumbent upon you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, in in terms of the drugs dog, yeah. th- it sounds like that's something you're quite passionate about from how you were describing, for instance, how Ziggy loves to mm. do a little bit of scent detection stuff around the house. Is that something yeah. that's always been in the back of your mind? Um, yeah, I, I, I would love to have a drugs dog. Um, I haven't got one yet because of... Um... It, it hasn't come about. Um, I want to do the firearms. I'm doing the firearms course with Riggs. So I'll, I'll explain a bit about that if you want late in a minute. But um, And it was just Jasper retired 
I took on another young dog. So at the point where Jasper retired would probably have been about the time I would have started looking at taking on a Spaniel. But because I was then taking on a brand new young German Shepherd and doing an initial course with him, I sort of just said to myself, hang fire on all this because you're then going to be juggling two, two, two lots of things here with two new dogs when actually the German Shepherd GP work is, is really demanding and, and takes a lot of your time. The dog doesn't come out of the 13-week training all singing or dancing. It takes a good couple of years to get them up and running and your concentration and your devotion, even on your days off, and getting that dog into that cracking police dog that you want. So, you know, in home life, I have a tenant, etc. So that third dog into the house was something I was sort of conscious of and work weren't pushing me to have the second dog because I had Riggs as a young dog. So I just sort of something I've always wanted, but the time and place, whereas things are sort of all settling down now and, you know, Riggs is doing really, really well. So um, as much as I don't really want three dogs at home to manage, um, I think I owe it to the sort of force and I would love to work a drugs dog. And um, it's just the sort of next step in my dog handling career, really. Um, so it's that next commitment. Well, well, we'll look forward to seeing what Monitor mm. brings to the table. <laughs> Who knows? It might not happen just yet. Uh, I'm going to do the firearms course with Riggs. Uh, we'll get that under our belt. That's another skill, which means more weeks of training and a higher level of the general purpose dog to maintain. But um, Tell yeah, us a bit more about that. Well. What's the firearms course? So Riggs is a general purpose police dog, so he does his normal general purpose. So that is your uh, tracking, uh, your area searching, using the air scent. Tracking follows the scent, the footsteps that they leave in the human scent. Uh, He searches for property that's been discarded. So anything that's got human scent that's been touched, he searches for the vulnerable. He, He does the public order at the football matches. He's trained to chase, detain and bite and protect me and protect police and protect the members of the public, etc. So he does all that. And then um, if the dog is suitable, so it's a confident dog, it's um, able to be handled by others, etc. Uh, when I say handled by others, moved around by others, helped lifted by being lifted by others, etc. Um, and is a really good, has really good nose work. It goes on to do the firearms uh, course, which is the next level up. So your dog has to be a higher standard. And, and that is working with the firearms teams in the police. So searching buildings with armed response. Um, the dog wears a camera. It goes into buildings. It'll ind- it may give you an indication, um, etc. And, and it's all on camera. So you can see the rooms. The firearms officers can see rooms ahead of them and, and also detective that ultimately detective there's a person there. It's a, it's a it's another option of force basically, um, for us as police and, and often the presence of the dog causes immediate compliance anyway. Um, you know, so the presence will cause someone to come out quietly because they're just terrified of the dog. Um, so it's a higher level of training. We do a lot more um with them. So it's a four week course. Um and we'll do that and then we'll go from there. Fantastic. Well, we're, we're nearly out of time, so we've got a couple of fun questions that we like to ask okay. uh, usually at the end of the podcast. Um, the first one is, if you were Prime Minister, what one dog-related thing would you make mandatory? Um, well, I thought about this one, and actually the one thing I would have made mandatory has actually... Well, it's not mandatory, but has happened, and that was... Um, the is Finn's law basically if you haven't heard of it and, and it's the assault 
for for a, an offender to assault a police dog or a police horse for them to actually be dealt with. So both Jasper and Riggs have been assaulted in the line of their duty and it kind of just gets brushed under the carpet. Although the offender gets dealt with for criminal damage, um, they get dealt with... It's the same as someone smashing a window for punching or kicking or hurting a police dog, which just isn't right. Um, right. And so the Animal Welfare Act uh, basically had a part in it that it would the offender would have a defence to say, oh, I didn't know it was a police dog and I thought I was scared for my life. Whereas now um, Finn's Law with um, Dave Wardle and police dog Finn who got stabbed, they've managed to get an amendment through Parliament whereby it's there's no defence for that now. Um, and so they can be dealt with for the, under the Animal Welfare Act uh, for harming that police dog. And they're just trying to get it through now the second part uh, with DEFRA, etc., for the whole Animal Welfare Act where the sentencing... Uh, changes because it's currently only six months sentencing so they're trying to change it up to six years for sort of animal cruelty animal welfare and obviously the use of force uh, to harm our police dogs and police horses because they weren't treated appropriately okay so, so that would be my thing but it has it's all happening now so that would have been in it. process yes definitely well, see, seeing as definitely. it's not fully in there we'll accept that as an answer then yes in that case. sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it was it's all sort of come about this summer which is fantastic um for us as uh, as handlers yeah, it's but it's a massive relief to have that confidence in the legislation backing up yeah. what you do as a what you do in yeah. your role. Yeah. Um and sort of the almost exact opposite, what one dog related thing would you outlaw or ban? Oh, that's a tricky one. I've been thinking about it, um allowing dogs to wear dresses. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know dressing dogs up. But then I put a little Pawson Pensions t-shirt on Ziggy, so I'm the worst candidate for oh, that because so she's our little mascot. I broke the law myself, but no. Uh, I, I, To be honest, there are so many things you could say. Um, there are many things that need changing, uh, but I couldn't pinpoint one. Um, but I think ultimately just... Um, yeah, no, I, I, there's, there's so much. You haven't got enough minutes left. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, there's so many things that could be changed that I, I, I wouldn't want to sort of pick one. But, um, yeah, just, just hoping that all dogs are looked after and owners, you know, make sure that they learn about their dogs and, and give the dog the best life. So that's not outlawing, but that, that's just a positive side of making maybe, sure that... Maybe you could outlaw people... ignorance. Ignorance, yes. yes. Outlawing ignorance yes. to dogs and what they need. And, and they're not humans. They are dogs and they think differently to us. And we must enhance and, and look after them if we're going to have them in the world like we do. We're such a dog loving nation. Let's make sure these dogs are looked after and, and make sure people aren't ignorant to what their needs are um, and what they require. Fantastic. OK, well, that's that's a fantastic place to end, I think. Um in terms of if people want to reach out, help support, pour some pensions, uh, find out more information, how how do people get a hold of you or contact you or donate? Okay, so pour some pensions. Our website is www.pawsomepensions.org.uk and we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and that's at uh, pour some pensions. Um, but ultimately just get involved, get in touch. I mean, the best thing you can do to help us is, is donate or, or raise money for us on our behalf. We all work full time running this uh, and we're all trying to manage it and try and do some good. Uh, we can't be everywhere. But if you wanted to help us raising money to pay for the vet's bills for the retired dogs, that would be incredible. Coffee mornings, cake stalls, you know, doing something off your own back to help us um, or just volunteering your time is it would be amazing. Um, would be awesome and Thank they you. can anybody who wants to do that can contact you either on social media or yeah contact us 
social media through the website info at porcelainpensions.org.uk we can get posters down to you collection tins etc we can help with all that um and we'll do our best to help you wherever possible fantastic okay that's been vicky yeah. from porcelain pensions thank you very much vicky no thank you for your time